Check, check. Well, hey, everyone that's here so far, good morning. Hope you're all doing awesome. Welcome to Church 21 downtown. My name is Evan Walker. I'm a pastoral apprentice here for Church 21. So glad you're here. Uh, welcome to all of you that call this church home. Uh, welcome to anyone who's new. Also, welcome to anyone who's totally new to church uh, altogether. Uh, I'm glad you're here. I hope today will be very helpful and encouraging for you, for all of us uh, that are used to church. Uh, just a reminder, you don't have to be in any sort of spectacular place. Uh, you are right where you are uh, because God is uh, specifically doing a work in your life, and part of that is here today at church. So I invite all of you to let God in, to do the work that he's continuing to do, the work that he wants to do. Um, this morning we're here to just worship God as we are and let him change us. Uh, so I hope you'll be encouraged today, and uh, we're going to start off with some worship. So I invite you to stand as we sing. Uh, if singing in the morning is new for you, that's okay. We're all going to sing together, so you don't have to worry about how it sounds. Uh, God loves it either way. Um, so let's sing about God's love this morning. And I searched the world, but it couldn't fill me. A man's empty praise and treasures that fade are never enough. Then you came along and put me back together. And every desire is now satisfied here in your love. Oh, there's Yeah. 
don't you take a few minutes and turn around, give a wave, or say hello to somebody standing next to you? All right, everyone, 
Uh, if you can start making your way back to your seats, we're going to get going with our service. Thank you so much. Wow, great job, everyone. Morning, everyone. Uh, so today we're going to be reading John 3, 1 to 4. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born again when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Let's pray. Lord, I'd like to thank you for today. I'd like to thank you for this space for this church, for Church 21, and for everyone here today. I just want to pray. Yeah, I pray for, pray for our church, for Church 21. I pray that you would help us to be a church that is always centered in your word, uh, in you, and um, aims to love people like you do, Jesus. Um, and I want to pray for the sermon today. I want to pray for Tim as he's preaching today. I pray that his words would be your words, Lord. I pray that his truth would be, that the words that he speaks would be, be your truth. And I pray that those words would touch our hearts today, especially those of us who are tired. We've had busy, busy weeks, um, and we come here just feeling exhausted, I pray that you would renew our hearts with, with your truth and that the Holy Spirit would just, would just fill our hearts today, Jesus. Uh, I pray for anyone who's new today that, that you would come to see uh, the, the loving family that is Church 21, um, and I pray that uh, the sermon would touch you, um, and anyone who is maybe doesn't know you, Jesus, I pray that, that you would uh, speak to them today and, and allow them to get to know you and um, the love that you have for them. I want to pray for our city. I want to pray for Montreal, for revival in this city, and I pray that all of us would be called to be a part of that um, as a church. I pray that we would go out and just boldly speak your truth to uh, the people in our lives, that we wouldn't feel, um, you know, nervous about it, but that we would just feel empowered by you and that the, the, your spirit would be present in those moments. Um, that we wouldn't think that, you know, anyone is, um, that might not be open to hearing your word, that we wouldn't make assumptions about that, but we would just speak to everyone about you and allow you to do your work um, and I pray that we would just be instruments for your glory, Lord, and your purpose that is just so much greater than any of us could ever fathom, any of us could ever understand. And I pray this in your beautiful name, Jesus. Amen.
unmuting myself is a good idea, I'll do that right now. Good morning, everyone. I'm just going to turn to scripture, put this down here. <clears throat> good morning. Welcome to Church 21. My name is Tim. I am a pastoral apprentice in the West Island. This is my first time here. Um, uh, this is a really cool space. I was actually hanging out upstairs for a little bit, and I realized that I was in the wrong spot. I'm used to our, like, collective all-church gatherings. So this is my first time being here with you, and so I'm really excited. Um, I normally attend the West Island uh, with my wife. Um, and last week, we, we uh, well, actually, we were just, you probably just finished up the series in Job. And next week, we're going to be starting um, our series, our sermon series called Sextember. Um, so today is going to be a one-off, a one-off sermon, and we're going to spend some time in John chapter three. And um, my aim is to present Jesus to you in, a, in, a, in, 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 in the gospel in a fresh, uh, a fresh way. And so, um, how about let's just pray one more time? So, if you'll just bow your heads with me, I'll just pray for us. Father, we are so excited today uh, to be able to hear from you. Um, I just pray that you would speak to every person here. Um, that your word uh, would remind them uh, who you are, it would remind them the truth, and that you would speak to them through your word, um, and that you would shape uh, the sermon, uh, and that, Spirit, you would highlight and emphasis the points um, that are meant to be taken away from this. So we just thank you uh, for this in your name. Amen. And so um, a little note here uh, from Brian's, one of Brian's suggestions. So we're going to be looking at, at Nicodemus, and he's a Pharisee. And so let me just tell you a little bit about who I am. I work as a mechanical engineer, uh, and it turns out he was kind of, we had a little bit of a, an, an exchange this week that uh, engineers sometimes could be the Pharisees. We have a lot of rules for things, um, and I thought, you know, wouldn't that be great to introduce myself as a Pharisee right this moment? I thought that would be a good time for, to start. But we're going to be taking a look at John chapter 3, and we're going to be going from verses 1 to 21. And so this morning, uh, already that was read on the screen, was verses 1 to 4. And we're actually left with a cliffhanger. This is a discussion um, that Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, uh, so, so let me just tell you a little bit about what that means. So Nicodemus was a member of the Sanhedrin. Um, he was a group of 70 men, and they had jurisdiction over every Jew, um, every Jew at the time. He's regarded as the teacher of Israel. And, and so Nicodemus is a very, very learned man. Um, he's, he's someone who would have an expertise in the scriptures. He knows it like the back of his hand. Um, he can explain any single passage to you. Um, and he's someone who truly is a learned and studied man. And one thing that I found that's really interesting as I was diving into some of these passages is that sometimes we tend to paint Nicodemus as almost this uh, theological dummy, so to speak. Like, like in the way in this exchange going on, it's like, come on, Nicodemus, surely you, you must know that you're not to take Jesus literally here, right? You can't actually be serious about your question. But he asks in verse 4, right, how can anyone be born when he is old? Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born and so Nicodemus is, is, is there, there was this, actually there was this expression, there was this saying amongst 
um, new converts uh, to Judaism at the time. And Nicodemus, being a rabbi, would have known this expression. And it's that it goes like this, something like this. A proselyte, or that is a new convert, who embraces Judaism is like a newborn child. A new convert who embraces Judaism is like a newborn child. So that's already something really interesting that Jesus already um, pushes back immediately in verse 3 and says, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I just thought I'll tell you a little bit more about the Pharisees since we're getting into this. And this isn't going to be just like a sermon where, uh, you know, where we're just going to trash the Pharisees for the whole time. You know, that, 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 that's almost too easy. Um, but rather, we're actually going to uh, commend uh, Nicodemus because he's actually willing to question, um, the, question some of the things that he's been taught. And that's why he is here on this, uh, on this, on this um, meeting and encounter with Jesus. The Pharisees were kings of religion. They had rules for the rules. And there's this idea that dates back um, to the third century and and from a a rabbi who concluded that there's actually 613 commandments or laws to be followed in the Torah. And so that's a lot, right? But however, just to give you um, just some background here on, on, on who the Pharisees were and what their influence was, is that it's believed that the Pharisees had almost tripled the amount of commandments. That they would take 613, and it would almost be close to 1,500. That's a lot. And so um, they, they were experts in the law. And so they had a very heavy weight. Imagine, imagine taking 613 and almost tripling it and adding to God's word in almost this way that they believe that this is pleasing to God, that it's building a case of righteousness on, for their sake to God. I want to give you a couple of examples here on a couple of rules that they had. One of them was, on the Sabbath, you can carry no more food than the weight of a dried fig and no more milk than what can be swallowed in one gulp. Right. Whose gulp is it anyways? And I have another one for you. One could not tie a knot in a rope on the Sabbath. But, okay, a woman can tie a knot in her sash. So, what happens if you need to get water on the Sabbath and you're at a well and you're extremely thirsty? Well, don't grab a rope and tie a knot, but instead, what you can do is take your wife's sash and tie a knot. Right. <laughs> Are you following? Uh, I, it, it, truly, it is, it is amazing to see the influence and the burden that they would have on the people of Israel. Imagine you going about your day and having no idea if you're actually being obedient to God. Imagine how crucial and how necessary the Pharisees were to your life. You'd be like, okay, uh, I need some water. Uh, I think I was told not to tie a knot, but uh, so-and-so teaches that I can tie a knot with my wife's satchel. I don't know why, but I can. So Pharisees, please come and help me. Without you, I will not know if I'm being right before God. 
Talk about a burden. Talk about a heavy weight and yoke that the Pharisees had over people. Talk about job security as well. I'm sure they always felt like they were always going to be needed. And so the Pharisees had this idea that this was all pleasing to God. But there's a danger to us, and it's that we should never add to God's words. Now, now enters in once again, we're going to talk about Nicodemus. And so Nicodemus approaches Jesus as night. He probably doesn't want to be seen, right? He doesn't want to be seen by all the other Pharisees that he's coming to approach Jesus. And I can imagine that he was almost ready to have this theological debate. Let me go and test Jesus to really see if he knows as much as I know. And maybe if he impresses me, then I'll put my trust in him. But the conversation doesn't go as planned, at least not for him. Because Jesus cuts him right off and gets straight to the point and says in verse 3, Truly, I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so I have a question for you. When is the last time that you've told someone even this truth when it comes to you about sharing who God is? Sometimes we like to hide behind all of our reasons, I myself included. I'm someone who thoroughly enjoys apologetics, or at least once upon a time, I enjoyed it maybe a little bit too much. And apologetics is essentially is, this, is, is providing these, these reasons and defense for Christian belief to try to explain it in a, in, a, in a way that makes sense. And I'm not saying that that doesn't have its place. However, what is the Spirit saying to you in this moment? And what is, this, and it, and, and what is the Spirit saying to you when you're sharing your faith? I believe it's important for us not to just hide behind rules or even man-made rules and principles, although they may have their merit and their value, but there is nothing that can substitute the Spirit's voice in our life. And I would encourage you today that if the Spirit is telling you that you need to share Jesus with people, to not stifle that voice, and to be bold in a controlled way, and share the truth with the people around you. Because Jesus makes it very, very clear that unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so we read a little bit more in verse 5. And this is Jesus' answer after Nicodemus asked the question, how can he enter a mother's womb and be born a second time? Jesus answered, truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and of spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of flesh is flesh. Whatever is born of spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you that, that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is everyone born of the spirit. And I want to highlight and emphasize and, and put an emphasis on a couple of things here. Because maybe you've heard this passage before, but you're thinking, Jesus, why are you speaking cryptic again? What does it mean to be born of water? I don't understand your metaphors. I don't understand what you're trying to say. But when, when we see being born of water, I want you to think back to this person, and maybe you're not familiar with the Bible. 
um, there's this person in, that, that if you read in the previous chapters of John, and if you look at Luke chapter 3, there's John the Baptist, and he's preparing the way for Jesus. Um, and, and so what he's, so he's going around and he's baptizing people. And he's preaching, as it says in Luke 3, he's preaching repentance and forgiveness of sins. So when, I want, when you hear water, born of water, I want you to think of John the Baptist's ministry and of him going around baptizing people and preaching and, 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 and on the emphasis that they are repenting and, 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 and asking for forgiveness for their sins. What exactly is repentance? Maybe that's a foreign word. Maybe it's a word that you don't understand that makes you upset. But I would say that repentance is us turning around. If we're going in one direction, it's turning around and it's going towards Jesus in another direction. Is that everything that we are of our life, that we're reorienting ourselves and we're turning to Jesus and we're following him. And that even within that, that our hearts and our desires and our affections, they begin to change. That what we did before, that us trying to define ourselves apart from God, that, that we just, that we don't want that burden on ourselves anymore. That we want to experience Jesus and know him fully and that we don't want to be walking around life with all of this baggage and this weight. Instead, that we are going to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And that's a little bit on what, on what being uh, born of water is. And now, what about the spirit? So, water, I want you to think of repentance. And when it comes to the spirit, I want you to think of this, well, fancy word called regener regeneration. What exactly does that mean? Maybe, actually, maybe once again, you're not, maybe it's your first time here. Um, maybe this is the first sermon you've ever heard. Or maybe some of your friends who invited you here today are tell, have, have maybe mentioned God's Spirit to you. And you're wondering, okay, what, what exactly is the Spirit? I have no idea what that is. Why do Christians talk about that so much? Hopefully. So I thought that I would just, um, I'm, right now I'm doing a, uh, a, a, uh, a, a master's program, and uh, I had some homework that I had to do to, uh, to write a, a paper, a doctrine paper on, on, on the Holy Spirit. So I thought, okay, why not just read this little excerpt? This might help us a little bit here. So we believe in the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, of one God, who can fix the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He reminds us of the truth and brings the ungodly to repentance and mankind to justice. The Spirit teaches us who Jesus is and reminds us all he taught. The Spirit dwells in every believer, testifying about Jesus, the and is the deposit that we have received for our faith in Christ. The Spirit intercedes on our behalf in prayer and sanctifies us by conforming us to the image of the Son, Jesus. Through by, and, and, and the proof is, is the fruit of the Spirit that he's working through us, and this is, our, our, this is what secures us, um, this, the Holy Spirit, um, and, and us up into glorification when we will be reunited with Jesus. And so, 
water, repentance, and spirit, regeneration. For that is the spirit's work. However, we get to a problem that Jesus points out here. Whatever is born of flesh is flesh. So how is someone born of the spirit? You know, I do have some exciting news to share right now. And you may not know me very well. However, this passage has gotten me thinking just even the past few months about flesh being born of flesh. So my wife is actually pregnant and she's, yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, really exciting, really exciting. She's uh, 16 weeks today, actually. And so it's been a really, it's been a roller coaster. To be honest, it has been difficult. Uh, She's had some pretty intense um, pregnancy symptoms. And so if you would remember to pray for her and, and for us, I would appreciate that. However, there, we cannot deny, even in all the discomfort that she's feeling, that there's something miraculous that's going on. You maybe, have, uh, maybe this has been told to you, but the psalmist David in Psalm 139 says, For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wonderfully made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. And so there's something miraculous going on in my wife's womb. And that the child is, is, is we're, we, we have this, this pregnancy app, and we're getting week-to-week updates about all the things that's going on, and that even at how early that the heartbeat is detected, and even at, at what point is all of um, the baby's like, in, organs already formed, and, 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 and their limbs and everything, and that even by week 10, that, 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 that everything is there, and it's just really, really small and really, really tiny. And now uh, at week 16, that the baby is growing. Um, and we actually just had our, our, our first ultrasound, uh, it was late, uh, just on Friday, and we got to see this very clear image of this child. And it's, it's, it's amazing, it's something miraculous. It's like the food and everything that my wife is eating is somehow being <laughs> turned into this baby, right? Like, like anything that she has, like, um, like, like the chicken that she ate just the other day. I'm like, wow, did you know that like, you know, as we were going through in the app, like, this is me maybe being a little bit of a nerd, is that, did you know that, like, the eye is formed today? And so when you're taking a bite out of that food, that, 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 that God's going to somehow turn that into an eyeball for our child. <laughs> maybe she's tired of all my remarks. But throughout this time is that I have been praying, and we have been praying, and asking that God would do his works in this child, and that this child would be healthy. But even more so is that my heart has been moved and, 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 and to pray not just for physical health, but in this dilemma here, flesh is born of flesh, but instead we're taking time to pray that, that God's spirit would already be moving in this child. That, that this child would, 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 would love God all the days of their life, and that this child's faith would exceed the faith of its parents, um, and, that, and that would have such an a in-tune relationship with God. And so that's something that we're praying for, because, because although there's something miraculous going on, flesh gives birth to flesh. And the only thing that can be born of spirit is spirit. And that's only God's workings and doings. And so we're asking for another miracle already to begin, 
while <laughs> the miraculous is already going on. And so Jesus, once again, he uses this um, interesting analogy about the spirit. And he, and, he, and he says this here, after he says this must be born of spirit, is that don't be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is everyone who is born of the spirit. Now, once again, sometimes when I'm, when I'm thinking through these things, or when I'm preaching, I try to remember um, for, for those who, and, and, and we're so glad that you're here, if you don't know Jesus. And, and so maybe once again, you're wondering, what, what is the spirit? Or maybe you're saying, okay, you know, wait, why does this even matter? Can you show me God? Can you show me God? And, and, and then I'll believe. Then I'll, I'll listen to these, to these words and teachings of Jesus. But I just want to, just a little side note here, here's your little apologetic side note, is that just because you can't see something, it doesn't mean that, it is, that, it's, that it's not real. And this is very much true. Jesus uses this example even right here. He provides an explanation and a reason right behind it here. Let me read you this definition from the National Geographic on what wind is. Wind is the movement of air caused by uneven heating of the earth by the sun. It does not have much substance. You cannot see it. You cannot hold it. But you can feel its force. It can dry your clothes in the summer and, and chill you to the bone in the winter. It's strong enough to carry sailing ships across the ocean and rip huge trees from the ground. That's interesting. Or even maybe you can take something like uh, magnetic fields, magnetism. Magnetism is very real. You can't see magnetic fields, but once again, you can see the effects of it. There's experiments that you can do to make it more obvious, but it is very real. The same could be said about gravity, right? Like, you can't see gravity, but you always see its effects. And in fact, even right now... <laughs> My back hurts, actually. That's gravity working on my back, is that I can feel the effects of it. And it's the same thing, once again, of the wind. You can't see it, but you can see its effects clearly if you're open to seeing it. And this is the same thing for the spirit, is that the spirit moves and the spirit changes us. The spirit transforms our lives. And even if you don't know Jesus... I invite you as well to look even to this community and look to, to, to the Christian that invited you here, presumably, um, or if God just actually led you here, even better. That's his spirit working. But, but he is in the midst of working through all, and, 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 and teaching you and reminding you about the truth of God. And there is no substitution for this. And so, and that, and, and, and that's, and, and, and so, once again, as we think about how the Spirit moves in our lives, right, um, that we, that we, that, that there's going to be evidence of, 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 of inward change and outward doings. 
And so I just have a little subpoint here to remind us of something right here. That even that we get through this passage is that if there's no repentance and no regeneration, it doesn't matter if you say or believe the right things. Once again, the Pharisees were kings and chiefs of religion. And they thought that they knew everything so well and they thought they were so crucial to everyone around them. But Jesus points out and makes it clear that this is not righteousness and that they are still lacking and that they are not born again. And so I just want to give a little sidebar to Christians who are here. And it's that don't be fooled by people or spokespeople or political figures or influencers who are trying to seduce you with their words when there is literally no evidence of the Spirit moving and working in their life. We have to be on our guard against this. Is that just because someone says the right things, if they haven't repented, and if the Spirit is not working uh, in their life, there's no regeneration, then you should be very, very cautious about this person. As Christians, we need to be discerning and wise. And we need to let Jesus be the one who defines someone who is in of and part of the kingdom of God. Maybe you're wondering as well, going back to this again, why Jesus? Why does it even matter what he says? I think I'm a good person. I'm actually quite comfortable with all the rules or even all of the things that I tell myself and potentially any other voice that I look to to define me. I'm actually quite satisfied with that. And wasn't Jesus just some kind of nice guy anyways? Wasn't he just some nice person um, that gives sometimes good advice? Well, I'll just say that one of my favorite things to do in Scripture is going, is, is when I'm reading, is to note some of the almost insane things that Jesus says. I know we can read it so fast, and I know that we can maybe have read this passage before, and sometimes we gloss over and skip these things. But Jesus actually says some pretty absurd things about himself here. If, of course, it's not true. Let me just read here from you in verse, in verse 12. I'm actually going to start from verse 11. Truly I tell you, we speak what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but you do not accept our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven. That's wild. That is so big that Jesus, (laughs) Jesus is saying that literally he came from heaven and that no one else has. If we keep going 
in verse, if you keep going onward, in verse 19, he also has this to say about himself. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light. The light has come into the world. That's also massive. Jesus is claiming that he is the light of the world. That's huge. So why does this matter? I'm just lovingly pointing out to you that Jesus didn't think of himself as some nice teacher who would only say nice things sometimes. He very really knew who he was and where he came from and what he was going to accomplish. And so I just want to say to you that Jesus is like anyone is, is he is not like anyone else. That he is separated from the rest. That he's not some just some prophet. He's not just another rabbi. He's not just a, another teacher. Jesus is God who came and dwelt among us. That's huge. So when Jesus speaks, I'm telling you that you should listen to him. There isn't anyone else in this world whose words will have the same weightiness and impact and power and authority as Jesus. He truly is like no one else. Maybe you've heard of C.S. Lewis. And um, what's a sermon without a C.S. Lewis quote, right? If this is your first sermon, I'm so sorry. But get used to more C.S. Lewis. You'll probably hear him a lot. So he introduces this trilemma. And you might have heard this before. And it's, Lord, lunatic, or liar. So C.S. Lewis gave this address, public address, in 1942. In 1952, he published this book called Mere Christianity. Um, if, once again, if you're new to the faith, or if you just want to um, understand maybe more reasons for your faith, um, I would suggest that you read it. It's a classic. But he says this here, and I quote from C.S. Lewis. I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, and he did not intend to. Now it seems, and this is what he says himself uh, as he's thinking through this, now, it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend. And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept that he was and is God. And so if you're here today and you've never thought about who Jesus is, I would invite you to wrestle with that and think through that in the same way that C.S. Lewis brought this argument towards us, to us. And I would ask you to say, who does Jesus say that he is? 
and you'll see that he truly is unlike anyone else. You know, there's another verse in, in, in Isaiah 45, um, in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 22. And it says this, Turn to me and be saved, all ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is no other. Jesus surpasses all. He is preeminent. He is central. He is distinguished. He's the greatest of all time that we can, we can even say. And so don't trust, don't just trust man's words, man's teachings, man's rules, and man's religion. You need the words of Jesus. And so, as we keep reading on here, we know Nicodemus asked the question, how could this be? How could this be? And maybe you're wondering, okay, once again, is that unless someone is born again, they cannot see and be a part of the kingdom of God. And that there's water, repentance, and spirit, the spirit's work in us, and his deposit and regeneration. But all of this story confuses me. Why did Jesus come into the world? So, I'm going to read from a verse that you've probably heard many times. You might have seen it um, as a sticker on, maybe on a, on, on, on a, a, as a bumper sticker. Uh, you might have, it might be the most quoted uh, passage of scripture um, ever, really. But I want us to spend some time on it, and I want us to understand it. We read here in verse 16, For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who, who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. For God so loved the world. Maybe you're here today and you're thinking as well, why would God ever love me? I don't understand what about the things that I struggle with? I myself am not perfect. Why would God love me? And, I, and, 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 and maybe you distance yourself from God because you think that there's things that you need to do in order to earn God's acceptance. But I want to make it very clear, as, we're going, as we've gone through this passage and as Jesus challenged Nicodemus, it's not by keeping the rules um, that makes you right with God. It's Jesus and what he's come to accomplish to do and to come into the world and save us. It's trusting him. Is that is what will make you right with God. And so therefore, there is nothing that can separate you from God's love. And there isn't a better today day than today to pray and speak to this God. There isn't anything that is separating you from him. Have you ever thought almost about even the emphasis in this passage, for God so loved the world? And I'm not saying that God doesn't have other attributes. There isn't other ways that we can define God. But what I note here, and this is myself speaking, 
is that it doesn't, notice how it doesn't say, for God was so angry with you. For God wanted to, it was impatient with you. For God wanted to judge you. No, it says, for God so loved the world. And even as he goes on to say in verse 17, he didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save it. But the primary motivation here is love. And that is a key attribute of God. When we say, even when we take something like an an example, like anger, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God so desires. You know, when I get angry, it's, it's about defending who I am. It's defending everything that I have, all of my assumptions, and all the ways that I think that I was wronged. But you know, even that, 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 Love is so primary to God is that God is getting angry over the right things because he loves us. This is important. You can even take the example of discipline. If as a father, if, if I'm, you know, in the, when, when this child is born and if I'm disciplining my kids, but I don't have love, then that is empty. My discipline should be driven because I love them. And not in a way to, 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 to place something that would just break them, but is that, 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 that I want them to be shaped and formed properly because I love them. There's a difference. Love keeps us safe in ordering the priorities and even in the actions that we do in our life. Without love, we have nothing. And so, as Christians, sometimes we can be so uh, driven towards orthodoxy, right belief. It's important. And even then, as good Baptists, we might prize this very much. But what is that without love? What we need as well is orthopathy, right feeling, an orthopraxy, right action, is that in our ordering of, of, our, of our affections and in who we are, is that we need to, to have a complete um, practice of our faith. That it's, not just, that it's not just knowing and saying and believing the right things, but it's also feeling the right things and doing the right things. As followers of Jesus, we want our, our, our head we want our hands and our hearts all to be engaged with the message of the gospel. And that we need all of these things. And this is the Jesus in scripture. That Jesus not only knew the right things, but he felt the right things and he did the right things. Jesus becomes very angry with the Pharisees. Because they created this category for themselves on only knowing the right things. And even then, they add to God's words. And so he's impatient with them, in a way. He wants to strip away all of the categories that they've created. Because if their religion isn't impacting even who they are to the core, then it's dead. God is not just an intellectual ideal for you, But it's also, but God impacts how you live and how you feel. 
And if God is only an intellectual idea to you, I want to challenge you this week and, I, and, and, and say to you that God is so much more than that. That your relationship with God is so much more than just an intellectual idea. Is this a Jesus that I'm making up to you? No. This is exactly who he is in the scriptures. And we have many examples of this. I want to remind you of a time when Jesus, is, is when Jesus even wept. Um, we're not going to get into that passage in full right now. But there's these moments in, throughout the Gospels where Jesus is angry at death. That he weeps for his friend. And that he has deep compassion for those around him. And guess what? There's no prerequisite of do these people deserve my love before Jesus loves them. There's no prerequisite of do these people check off certain boxes in their belief and therefore they are worthy for me to help them. Jesus feels this way towards people who are ill, for those struggling with the effects of sin, even if it's their own fault, for those struggling physically and spiritually. I want to highlight something, and it was probably a year and a half ago when we looked, uh, we looked through the Gospel of Mark. And I had the privilege of preaching on um, a passage where Jesus uh, is about to feed the, the big crowd. I'm trying to remember if it was the 5,000. But anyways, Jesus was going to feed a big crowd. But when he, when he saw the crowd, and, and, and I just, there's some things that I want to share with you, is that Jesus felt a deep compassion. Now, what is this word here um, that was describing that in Mark? In Mark 6, chapter 6, okay? When he, in verse 34, when he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And then he began to teach them many things. Well, the word, I'm sorry, I don't speak Greek, so I'm not even going to attempt to say it. But the word has, has, is, is, it can be derived, and it has, it has roots in the, word, uh, in the Greek word, uh, sorry, viscera, the stomach. And, and it's very clear that what the text says is that it, what, what was believed is that the seed of emotions um, was thought to be um, deep in the stomach. Um, and so we get these, these like words where we can uh, translate it to, it's like intestinal organs. And this is a word, this, so, so what, what the writers end up, sorry, what the translators end up doing is they, they, they see this, this description in the Greek, and they choose the word compassion. But this word is actually unique to Jesus only. The word appears 12 times in the New Testament. And it's bursting with emotion. Tender mercy, bursting with emotion, felt so deeply that it's in his intestines. Maybe write that on some poetry for someone, right? But that is something so deep and so real. And Jesus is the only one in the New Testament or all throughout Scripture to which this word is attributed to. And it appears 12 times. Three times in parables used by spoken by Jesus and nine times in real life. 
And so Jesus looks at his creation, and even when they're struggling with sin, and he has a deep, tender, mercy, emotional care for them. So Jesus cares for you. I know that we can read through the Bible and see it once again as only information. And we can go through everything. We can memorize all the different parts. And we believe that Jesus intellectually saved us. We can say Jesus intellectually saved us and went to the cross and satisfied the wrath of God. That he took the punishment and he paid the price for our sins. We can say that really fast. But have we taken time to stop and understand that Jesus doesn't just love you as an idea, but that he actually loves you in real life. That even as he was, as, 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 as he knew as he was going to the cross, for everything that he was going to endure, his sweat was like drops of blood. He endured all these things because he loves you. And so, I want to say to you that if you are struggling with the idea that God loves you, I invite you to read scripture and, and, and take your time with it. It's not just to get as much done as you can, but really take the, your time with it and understand that Jesus ate with us, sat with us, truly loved us in a very real way. And that our faith needs to be holistic and complete. That it's not just right knowing the right things like the Pharisees, but we need to be marked by orthodoxy, orthopathy, and orthopraxy. This is key. This is important. And think of, and if you don't believe me as well on that, I'll just give you a few more images. A lot of the times in Scripture, we're being described as the church as a family of believers. I believe that's something that we even say here at Church 21. There's this idea of adoption of God adopting us and us of being a part of his family. That in his house, that, he's, that he has many rooms and he's prepared a place for us. And that we come to God and we say, Abba, Daddy, Father. These are all things that really, if you let your heart soak it in, these are warming things. These are images that are true. We're talking about a true family, not just a family on paper. We're talking about a family and a body of believers who truly do love one another. This is what a true family is. And so as Christians, as here, as believers, that we need to keep this in mind. And I would say to the people who, here who are not believers, or if this is your first time at church, I would boldly say that for us as a family, as the church, when we hold to these things, that there isn't going to be a place in the world that will love you like, like, like this, expressed in the truths of who Jesus is and how he loved us, that you will not be loved more than this anywhere else. We together are a part of God's family, and that is something beautiful. It's great. And I just want to leave you with one last um, analogy here that Jesus uses. It's an interesting one. 
We'll go back a little bit. Jesus says in verse 14, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. So Jesus is actually quoting here, he's bringing us back to Numbers chapter 21. It's a little bit of an odd story if you've never heard of this before. But Jesus uses this to explain why is it that he's here? Why does he have to come? What is he accomplishing? So, there's, um, in, in, in this passage here in Numbers 21, um, we have a story where uh, the Israelites, they had this habit of God was doing like wonderful things for them. He, was, he, he saved them. He brought them out of slavery um, from, from Egypt. And he would do all these amazing things for them, yet they would always find a way to complain and grumble about things and almost even wish that they would be brought back to slavery, which is wild. But this, we almost say this is human nature in that it's almost like holding up a mirror where, where we forget who God is. We forget what he's done for us. And sometimes we, we wander uh, back to the things that, we, that, that have gripped us before. But anyways, in this passage here, um, that it, it, reads, it reads here that the people, they were grumbling, and so it, this, this, might, this might sound wild to you, that God sent a curse amongst them, and there was these snakes that were in the camp um, because the people were grumbling, and, and they, were, they were poisonous, right? And the people, they repented, and they said, Moses, can you please intercede um, to, to God on our, on, on, on our behalf here? And, and so it says here in verse 7, the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Intercede with the Lord so that he will take the snakes away from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a snake image and mount it on a pole. When anyone who is bitten looks at it, he will recover. So Moses made the bronze snake and mounted it on a pole. Whenever someone was bitten and he looked at the bronze snake, he recovered. Interesting. Why is Jesus using this analogy here for himself? If you keep on reading, again, in verse 18, verse 17, he didn't come to condemn the world, but he actually says that, that anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world and people have loved the darkness rather than the light. Is that for us in this image, that we are essentially the Israelites in the camp, um, that we are already condemned. That sin is already present in our lives. Um, and that's, it's, that, that we can parallel it to, this, to the venom that, that the serpents had in that passage. And that the serpents are biting at our heels. That sin is, is, is wanting to rule over us. But, but if we look to Jesus who's lifted up as he goes to the cross, then we would be healed. That's the promise there. Jesus is using the same analogy here. Is that Jesus will be lifted up to the world. He's going to be on the cross. And no matter 
where you are, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter how much even sin has harmed you, is that if you look to Jesus, you will be healed. It's not, once again, it's not, we'll say, the, the strength of your belief primarily it's the strength of Jesus that saves. And that's the difference. And so, I would just say for us, no matter what's going on in our lives, that we can look to Jesus, and he is the one who truly and only can save us, and that he has gone through great lengths because he loves us and to save us. So, I ask the question to you today, what are you waiting for? Don't you want to know this Jesus who loves you so much more than you can imagine? And I want to remind you that in order to be a part of the kingdom of God, you must be born again, and that is of water and of the Spirit, repentance and regeneration. So I'll just close for us in prayer. Father, we, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for your word. We ask that you would just, that you would use your words to shape us, that you would, that you would use your word to reveal yourself to us. I ask that we um, would be a people who wouldn't just have an, an intellectual idea of who you are, that truly that we would experience and know you. That, God, you would change our beliefs, that you would change our affections and our, and our emotions, and you would change our actions and what we do. God, this miraculous, miraculous rebirth can only be done with you. It can only be done with what you've done for us. God, we pray that your spirit would be present and that it would grip every heart, and that we would know that you are so trustworthy and there isn't anyone in this world who is more trustworthy than you. So God, I say, let us say yes in our hearts that we'd give ourselves to you. There isn't a better place to be. In Jesus' name, amen.